Cool. Well, I'm really excited and inspired here this morning. Um, no, this is, it's good. It is interesting um, just what a week brings. I mean, I, I'm sure like many of you guys, it was hard to even pull myself away from just watching what's happening um, to our neighbors to the south. And um, it's hard not to, not to just have that way heavy. And I don't, I don't know where you guys are at this morning, but my mind is there big time. Um, one of the things that, that I actually think will even speak to this a bit is where we're, we're heading this morning talking about our life groups, talking about the importance of being in regular relationship with each other. Um, we, are, we are getting ready to relaunch. We took a summer break. We're gonna relaunch our home groups or life groups here in a couple of weeks. So we're gonna spend this Sunday and next Sunday kind of laying the groundwork for that. And then we'll start in a couple of weeks. Um, come ready next Sunday um, to hear specifically who's going to be leading, where they're going to meet, and look for opportunity to plug in. That's going to be the main thrust of next Sunday. Um, but there's a few things I want to say before we jump into this particular message. First of all, right about a year ago, we launched home groups for the very first time in our church, and we did about a, about a six-week series sharing what our heart is for life groups. And I'm not re-preaching that series as we're getting ready to relaunch. I would just encourage you Go back and listen to that. You can find it on our website. You can find the notes there. We laid out why we think it's so important. We talked about the value of discipleship and that we need to actually have a real target. Like I can say the word disciple or discipleship, but if I don't know what that means, we're all kind of chasing a different thing. And so we just took time to say, here's the target. Here's what a disciple is. Here's the process God then invites us into as we grow and are made more and more into his disciples. And one of the things we discovered is that he intended for us to be on that journey together with a group of people. And so those are some of the things we talked about a year ago. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, this morning, what, what we're gonna do is really kind of camp in one passage of scripture. If you've got your Bible and you wanna follow along, you can turn to John chapter six. Um, and as you turn there, or get ready, I wanna, I wanna just kind of set the scene. Um, this might strike you as a little bit unusual. Um, typically, some of the, the stories we're going to encounter in John chapter 6, they would each be their own standalone message. Like in this passage, Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? Are, are some of you guys familiar with that, that story? There's lots to mine and learn from what Jesus was doing there, what he was communicating to the people there. We also find in this passage um, the story where Jesus walks on water. The disciples are out in the boat and there's a storm and Jesus comes walking out to them. Is that a familiar story to some of you maybe? And so we see that there and there's some other peripheral things happening. What I wanna encourage you to do this morning is go back with me in time. Often, if I'm not careful, when I read the scripture, I just kind of read one story, one moment, Jesus almost appears as this kind of mythical um, being in the midst of these stories, just going from moment to moment and people get healed and it's just kind of like he shows up and he does stuff, something explodes and then he moves to the next place. And often I even can forget that there's these guys named like Peter and James and John and Matthew that are with him during all this. Occasionally they pop up and say something or experience something, but they're present through it. And so my, my heart this morning is to look at a series of stories as if this is a group of people encountering life together. The disciples lived with Jesus. 
They were doing life with him. This stuff was happening to them. They were participating in it. They had feelings and emotions like we all do along the way. There were victories. There were steps backward, failings. There were tired seasons. And so I want to just kind of watch this small group, if you will, of disciples in Jesus walking through some stories and just see if there are a few things we can draw from this that might give us some direction and why it's important for us to live life in a group like that and things that we may encounter along the way. You guys ready for that? Yeah? Okay. All right. Good. Um, I want to give you a little bit of context as well. And so while we're going to camp in John chapter 6, there are several other gospels that, that tell this story. And in Matthew and Mark's gospel specifically, they give us a little framework for what's leading into the feeding of the 5,000. And so in Mark's gospel, um, we hear that, um, first of all, the disciples had been sent out. They got paired up and they went and they served and they were sharing with people. They were praying for people to get healed. Miraculous things were happening. They were out working. They'd split up into teams. And then kind of around the same time, John the Baptist, who had been imprisoned, ends up getting beheaded. Okay, so they're working hard and then a tragedy strikes. And so the scene leading up to the feeding of the 5,000 is that they're all getting back together. The disciples have made their way back. News has reached them about this tragedy that's happened with John the Baptist. And they're kind of gathered in a huddle and they're just sharing um, everything that's been going on. And so as they finish that conversation, Jesus looks at them. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Can anybody relate to being in one of those seasons where you're weary and tired, and you've been running at such a pace that you can't rest? And then often, in the midst of that, something really hard happens, and you just don't have it anymore. You don't have the strength. You don't have the energy to continue on. Jesus' heart is actually to recognize there are times where we need to shut it down. We need a place to go that's safe and quiet and we can draw in and we can rest. And, and notice this. He, he didn't say, get away completely by yourselves. It was an invitation. He said, come away by ourselves. Let's, let's go together. Let's go together and retreat somewhere away from all the noise, away from all the stuff, away from all the busyness and have a place to gather and find some comfort. So life group principle number one, life group principle number one, they're meant to be a place where there can be rest for the weary. Rest for the weary. It shouldn't be another thing on the agenda, another thing on your list. I got to drag myself over there. This is, I'm going to a place with my people and Jesus is going to be there. And we can just kind of go <sighs> together. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Just going, <sighs> taking a deep breath. There's um, one of my favorite basketball players in the NBA is this guy named Russell Westbrook. And one of the reasons I love this guy is he just, he plays basketball like his pants are on fire. 
I mean, I, I don't know if there's any NBA fans in the room. A lot of you guys are looking at me like, dude, what are you talking about? But this guy, he gets on the court and he just goes nonstop, hardcore, the whole time. He's not the most graceful. He doesn't always make the best decisions, but man, he lays his heart out there. And one thing I began to notice that he does, though, is there's these points in the game where a guy gets fouled, and when you get fouled, if you were shooting, you go get a free shot at the free throw line. Are y'all familiar with this, even you non-basketball? Okay, so I began to notice something that he does. He steps up to the free throw line, they hand him the ball, and before he shoots, he literally goes like this. It's like the only place in the entire game where he stops and takes a breath. But he does it before he shoots the free throw. He just goes, he even does his hand like that. And I just thought it was kind of interesting. And then he, he calms, he resets, and then he shoots the shot. He just needs that moment to reset. We need that. And our people, our group, our small group of people that we learn to, to trust and to do life with, it's meant to be a place where we can take a breath like that. And so that's what, that's, that's what God has for us. I can, I can tell you specifically, I've experienced this in my life. Years before we moved here to Tennessee, we were just folks in a church, participating in church life. And for years and years, Amy and I participated in home groups. We attended them. We hosted them. And, and I found these to be very valuable always, but in specific times in my life where I was weary and worn down. It was like, here's a safe place. I can get real with these people. I can be honest with them. Um, I can know that they're not going to be judging me and I'm not going to be judging them. We can just kind of like lay aside the pretend niceties and just get real. Like we need a place to do that. Now, my hope is that we can do that here on Sunday mornings, but I know our reality. We come in, some of you guys barely know each other, especially being kind of a young, growing church. We're still kind of figuring each other out. And it's really easy to do the thing where it's like you pull into the parking lot, you stamp the smile on, right? I'm the only one that does that, I'm sure. All right, and just you give the generic, like, how's life? Good, life's good, doing great, right? And we just got our little quick one-liners that we give. Home group is where we can kind of like take that mask down and go, man, I just gotta be real. Hey, life was good this week, but it's real. and I'm sharing that. Or hey, life was hard. Here's what I'm struggling with. And we can find rest. So that's life group principle number one, a place of rest for the weary. And so that's the season these guys are in. They're looking to get away to this desolate place. Now, as often happens in life, that quickly gets interrupted. They get out and away from everything and as they sit down, we're now going to pick up in John's gospel and kind of spend the rest of our time there. And in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, as they're sitting there, it says that it's about Jesus here. It says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse 6, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. I love that. I love that we get the little aside there. Jesus knew what he would do, but he's inviting Philip into this. It's like, okay, we're weary, we're tired, but there's all these people that showed up. Scripture says Jesus kind of saw them and had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd and he taught, he healed, he did all this stuff. And now there's just this large gathering and they're in need, practical needs. They're hungry. Since Jesus and disciples went out to a desolate place, guess where everybody is? We got thousands of people in the middle of nowhere they're hungry. They're hungry. And so there's a practical thing here. We need to eat. 
But I love that Jesus invites the disciples into this problem. He has a plan, but he wants them to participate. And so they start talking and brainstorming. You know, Philip's like, man, I don't know if we even have enough money or where we would buy anything. And Andrew chimes in and is like, hey, here's some, here's some loaves and some fish. Maybe we could do something with this. I love that Andrew had at least a little bit of faith. Like, hey, if I hand Jesus this, maybe something cool will happen. So they, they sort of try to participate. And Jesus says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down about 5,000 in number. You know, we think of this as the feeding of the 5,000. It was probably like 15 or more, 15,000 or more. If just the men were 5,000, their wives are there. A few kids are there. It's a big group. So they all sit down on all this grass. Verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Now, I know we just witnessed Jesus do a miracle, but in the midst of the miracle, I don't want you to miss just the simplicity of the process that's going on here. Jesus is saying, hey, these people need to be fed, so let's feed them. And so together, let's take what we've got and let's use what we have to meet some needs. And he involves the disciples in the process of not only handing it out, but when everybody was fed, notice he says, nothing is going to be wasted. We're going to gather up the extras. And what happened is after the work of serving all of those people, you know, we can read the story in like 20 seconds, 30 seconds. It took a lot longer than that to hand out food to some 15,000 people. How many of you guys were at the Cove with us last Sunday. I mean, it took like 80-ish people, 20, 30 minutes to get through the food line. They had thousands of people to feed. It was a miracle that they were able to hand this food out, much less that Jesus provided plenty from the small amount that they had. It was miraculous, but they, they were involved in the process. And then there was plenty left over for them to eat. What's, what's the point of this? Life group principle number two, serving together and eating together is important. We could even just say it like this. We need to learn the value of work and play. Serving and eating together. There are practical things that we are meant to do together. And I don't know how it works, but in the normal processes of life, God works miraculous things. I have grown in relationship with men in this church just by coming here early on Sunday mornings and putting up curtains and setting out chairs and unloading a trailer. I don't know how that works, but something about serving side by side, there is a sense of togetherness. You're all bringing what you have to the table and being co-laborers does something. We're made to serve alongside of each other. And one of the things that happens in life group is we have, we have specific moments within the group where there are needs. There are people within that group that will have needs and everybody else can kind of go, hey, all I've got is this little bit of bread or this little bit of fish, but if we pool our resources, we can bless this family. We can take care of this person. It could be something as simple and practical as providing a meal when somebody's sick in the hospital, having a child. There's practical, tangible ways that we can serve each other. And there's gonna be times where we'll link arms and we'll go out and serve others together. It's an important part of it but also having a meal together. 
breaking bread together. We're not meant to just pour out. We're also meant to be refilled. Jesus didn't bring all these people out here, do this in-depth Bible study and then go, good luck with the physical stuff. I don't care about that. No, your body needs to be fed. There's something that happens at the table. Something happens when we sit and we break bread together. When I, when I envision having a good time with my friends, it's rare that I'm not also picturing food being a part of it. Now, maybe that just says something about me. I, I don't know. But often, food is a big part of it. I, I've got a couple of um, buddies of mine back in Franklin, and there was a, a, this year-long um, kind of training course that we went to. And it met quarterly, and we would go for two or three days, once a quarter, and we went to different towns. We were in Dallas once, we were in Orlando once, we were in some little town outside of, uh, outside of Atlanta one time. And I can tell you, when we found out we were going and we knew where the cities were, our first move was to figure out strategically, what are we gonna eat? And have a place to gather and find some comfort. So, life group principle number one. Life group principle number one, they're meant to be a place where there can be rest for the weary. Rest for the weary. It shouldn't be another thing on the agenda, another thing on your list. I got to drag myself over there. This is, I'm going to a place with my people and Jesus is going to be there. And we can just kind of go <sighs> together. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Just going, taking a deep breath. There's um, one of my favorite basketball players in the NBA is this guy named Russell Westbrook. And one of the reasons I love this guy is he just, he plays basketball like his pants are on fire. I mean, I, I don't know if there's any NBA fans in the room. A lot of you guys are looking at me like, dude, what are you talking about? But this guy, he gets on the court and he just goes nonstop, hardcore, the whole time. He's not the most graceful. He doesn't always make the best decisions, but man, he lays his heart out there. And one thing I began to notice that he does though, is there's these points in the game where a guy gets fouled. And when you get fouled, if you were shooting, you go get a free shot at the free throw line. Are y'all familiar with this? Even you non-basketball. Okay. So I began to notice something that he does. He steps up to the free throw line, they hand him the ball, and before he shoots, he literally goes like this. It's like the only place in the entire game where he stops and takes a breath. But he does it before he shoots the free throw. And he just goes, he even does his hand like that. And I just thought it was kind of interesting. And then he, he calms, he resets, and then he shoots the shot. He just needs that moment to reset. We need that. And our people, our group, our small group of people that we learn to, to trust and to do life with, it's meant to be a place where we can take a breath like that. And so that's what, that's, that's what God has for us. I can, I can tell you specifically, I've experienced this in my life. Years before we moved here to Tennessee, we were just folks in a church, participating in church life. And for years and years, Amy and I participated in home groups. We attended them. We hosted them, and, and I found these to be very valuable always, but in specific times in my life where I was weary and worn down. It was like, here's a safe place. I can get real with these people. I can be honest with them. Um, I can know that they're not gonna be judging me and I'm not gonna be judging them. We can just kind of like lay aside the pretend niceties and just get real. Like we need a place to do that. Now my hope is 
that we can do that here on Sunday mornings. But I know our reality. We come in, some of you guys barely know each other, especially being kind of a young, growing church. We're still kind of figuring each other out. And it's really easy to do the thing where it's like you pull into the parking lot, you stamp the smile on, right? I'm the only one that does that, I'm sure. All right, and just you give the generic, like, how's life? Good, life's good, doing great, right? And we just got our little quick one-liners that we give. Home group is where we can kind of like take that mask down and go, man, that's gotta be real. Hey, life was good this week, but it's real. And I'm sharing that. Or hey, life was hard. Here's what I'm struggling with. And we can find rest. So that's life group principle number one, a place of rest for the weary. And so that's the season these guys are in. They're looking to get away to this desolate place. Now, as often happens in life, that quickly gets interrupted. They get out and away from everything. And as they sit down, we're now going to pick up in John's gospel and kind of spend the rest of our time there. And in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, as they're sitting there, it says that it's about Jesus here. It says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Verse 6, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. I love that. I love that we get the little aside there. Jesus knew what he would do, but he's inviting Philip into this. It's like, okay, we're weary, we're tired, but there's all these people that showed up. Scripture says Jesus kind of saw them and had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd and he taught, he healed, he did all this stuff. And now there's just this large gathering and they're in need, practical needs. They're hungry. Since Jesus and disciples went out to a desolate place, guess where everybody is? We got thousands of people in the middle of nowhere they're hungry. They're hungry. And so there's a practical thing here. We need to eat. But I love that Jesus invites the disciples into this problem. He has a plan, but he wants them to participate. And so they start talking and brainstorming. You know, Philip's like, man, I don't know if we even have enough money or where we would buy anything. And Andrew chimes in and is like, hey, here's some, here's some loaves and some fish. Maybe we could do something with this. I love that Andrew had at least a little bit of faith. Like, hey, if I hand Jesus this, maybe something cool will happen. So they, they sort of try to participate. And Jesus says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down about 5,000 in number. You know, we think of this as the feeding of the 5,000. It was probably like 15 or more, 15,000 or more. If just the men were 5,000, their wives are there. A few kids are there. It's a big group. So they all sit down on all this grass. Verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Now I know we just witnessed Jesus do a miracle, but in the midst of the miracle, I don't want you to miss just the simplicity of the process that's going on here. Jesus is saying, hey, these people need to be fed, so let's feed them. And so together, let's take what we've got and let's use what we have to meet some needs. And he involves the disciples in the process of not only handing it out, but when everybody was fed, notice he says, nothing is going to be wasted. We're going to gather up the extras. And what happened is after the work of serving all of those people, you know, we can read the story and like, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. It took a lot longer than that to hand out food 
to some 15,000 people. How many of you guys were at the Cove with us last Sunday? I mean, it took like 80-ish people, 20, 30 minutes to get through the food line. They had thousands of people to feed. It was a miracle that they were able to hand this food out, much less that Jesus provided plenty from the small amount that they had. It was miraculous, but they, they were involved in the process. And then there was plenty left over for them to eat. What's, what's the point of this? Life group principle number two, serving together and eating together is important. We could even just say it like this. We need to learn the value of work and play. Serving and eating together. There are practical things that we are meant to do together. And I don't know how it works, but in the normal processes of life, God works miraculous things. I have grown in relationship with men in this church just by coming here early on Sunday mornings and putting up curtains and setting out chairs and unloading a trailer. I don't know how that works, but something about serving side by side there is a sense of togetherness. You're all bringing what you have to the table and being co-laborers does something. We're made to serve alongside of each other. And one of the things that happens in life group is we have, we have specific moments within the group where there are needs. There are people within that group that will have needs and everybody else can kind of go, hey, all I've got is this little bit of bread or this little bit of fish, but if we pool our resources, we can bless this family. We can take care of this person. It could be something as simple and practical as providing a meal when somebody's sick in the hospital, having a child. There's practical, tangible ways that we can serve each other. And there's gonna be times where we'll link arms and we'll go out and serve others together. It's an important part of it. But also having a meal together, breaking bread together. We're not meant to just pour out. We're also meant to be refilled. Jesus didn't bring all these people out here, do this in-depth Bible study, and then go, good luck with the physical stuff. I don't care about that. No, your body needs to be fed. There's something that happens at the table. Yes. Something happens when we sit and we break bread together. When I, when I envision having a good time with my friends, it's rare that I'm not also picturing food being a part of it. Yes. Now, maybe that just says something about me. I, I don't know. But often food is a big part of it. I, I've got a couple of um, buddies of mine back in Franklin and there was a, a, this year long um, kind of training course that we went to and it met quarterly and we would go for two or three days, once a quarter, and we went to different towns. We were in Dallas once, we were in Orlando once, we were in some little town outside of, uh, outside of Atlanta one time. And I can tell you when we found out we were going and we knew where the cities were, our first move was to figure out strategically, what are we gonna eat? What's that town known for? What's the best, is this, is this a barbecue place? Is that what we're doing? Like, what are the places we're gonna, we're getting some Tex-Mex while we're in the Dallas area, what are we doing? And we would map out our meals strategically. We get, we get seven meals on this trip. Okay, we're gonna hit this place twice because we love the barbecue there so much. I'm serious, I'm serious. But listen, like, I, I learned things while we were on those trips, I'm, I'm sure I learned things, but the memories I have is traveling with my buddies and the life and the conversation and the fun. And food was a piece of that, but it was the gathering around the food. You, you let your walls down. Eating a meal together is important. 
And so that's life group principle number two. It's not only a place of rest for the weary, it's, it's a group where we learn to work and play together. We learn to serve and we learn to eat together. That's an important aspect of it. Uh, one of my favorite memories of our first year here in Knoxville, um, I got to do something that I really hadn't done in a long time. I've, I've experienced it at points along the way in my life, but a bunch of us were here and didn't have family in town. And so whoever didn't just came over to me and Amy's house. We set up a couple of those long rectangular tables and we just all gathered around a table for a Thanksgiving meal and we were each other's family. It was awesome. It was sweet. It was life-giving. It was encouraging. Let's learn to work and play together. All right, so the story moves along. Remember, this is all kind of happening one right after another. They're weary and tired. They finally get away to this desolate place. All these people show up. They work together. They get fed together. Okay, now maybe things can quiet down a little bit. And so Jesus does the thing that he would often do, and he kind of slips away to pray and have some time to himself. And the disciples set out across the sea in a boat. And while they're out there, um, instead of it just being a simple little sail across the sea to the other side over, overnight, it was rough. And in John chapter six, verse 18, we pick up the story and it says, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. Think about this for a minute. They were, they were envisioning, I'm sure, putting up a couple of sails and just cruising across. Like, let's catch a good wind and let's go. Instead, they have been hard rowing three or four miles. That sounds like a lot to me. I don't even know what that would feel like rowing a boat three or four miles, but they are, they're weary. They're in that boat together working hard. And it's not just that they're rowing three or four miles. The circumstances around them are terrible. Some of the other gospels paint a much larger picture of what's happening. I mean, there are wind and waves and a storm. And it's like, these are veteran fishermen in this boat who are terrified. That should tell us something. I mean, I get scared if I get in a kayak, then I'm going to tip it over. But these guys, they're feeling like, like we're, in our, we're in our zone. This is what we do. This is what we're good at. And we're freaked out. This storm is serious and it's scary. And, and what I think is interesting here is they see Jesus and they don't go, that's amazing. They're freaked out. Is that a ghost? Am I seeing things now? Like what's happening? I am, I am terrified. I'm terrified. They were thrown off by that. But notice what happens next. Jesus draws near and in verse 20, Jesus said to them, it is I do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Life group principle number three, when life is hard, you need people in your boat. Even before Jesus got there, I mean, he's present, he sees what's going on, but even before he arrives, they were already co-laboring together. They were in that boat together. And when you're in the boat together, you know that somebody's got your back and you've got their back. You're pulling for each other. But we also need people who are gonna give us reminders along the way to see Jesus. Look, he's actually right there, he's present. We don't need to be afraid anymore. 
we can invite him in. We can be glad and rejoice that he is here in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the hard rowing. He's here. We need people that will remind us of that truth. Crystal was telling us this awesome story within the last week, and I'm just going to get my phone out and read the text. <laughs> so her son Jonah, who's now in kindergarten, is talking with her the other night, and I'm just going to read this to you guys. So this is from Crystal this week. Jonah was uh, not happy to be left alone to take a nap, and he started to tear up. And when I asked him what was wrong, he said he wanted someone to be with him. I reminded him that Jesus is with him, and he responded, I love this, I love Jesus, and I know he lives in my heart, but right now I need someone I can see with my eyes. I mean, if that doesn't preach right there, out of the mouth of babes. I get that way. I feel that way. Jesus, I, I know you're here. I know you're present, but I just look out and I'm terrified and I feel alone. And I just, I just need somebody I can see with my eyes. And see, when we get in the boat with each other together, we get to be that for each other. We get to give each other a glimpse of Jesus. His love comes through us towards one another. We put flesh on the bones. We're called his body. Think about that. There's a reason we're called his body. There's that tangible thing that we need. I am grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit that comes and lives in every single believer. I'm grateful that Jesus said it was for our benefit that he was returning to the Father so he could send his spirit. I'm grateful for that. But he, he still knows that we need the tangible. And that's where you and I come in. So that the Holy Spirit that's within me can speak to and encourage life in you. And the Holy Spirit that, that is in you can speak and encourage life into me. We can be in that boat and can look at each other and say, it's gonna be all right. And the, the cool thing that happens every now and then Every now and then, we go through something like that together and we find we're on the other side. Yeah. Jesus showed up. Right. Something miraculous happened. Sometimes we're just rowing for three or four miles together. Yeah. And that's all right. It's all right. That's life group principle number three. Life is hard, but we need people in our boat. All right, let's continue on. Um, and we're going to pick this up now in John chapter 6, still verse 26. And at this point in the story, they have now made it to the other side. People have come chasing them down. All the folks that got their bellies full the day before come and find them. And this dialogue begins to happen. And it's pretty fascinating. I would encourage you to, to read back through this whole passage yourself. There's a lot happening. But at the simplest level, they are asking him to give them more bread. And so Jesus is going to use this as an opportunity to try to teach them something. And so in verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God and the Father has set his seal. So he says, listen, like, slow down. This isn't just about food for your belly. There's more going on here. I have more to offer you. That was a picture of something more. Well, they're still hung up on this idea. So they begin to have this conversation with about Moses and how Moses provided bread for the people while they were in the wilderness and manna came down from heaven. 
And they, they are recognizing that Jesus had performed this miracle of just making this bread kind of come from nothing. And they're saying, do that again. If you really are this incredible man that's come from the Lord, do what Moses did. And so Jesus is having this dialogue back and forth with them, trying to help them understand, I am talking about something that goes beyond the physical. And so finally, in verse 34, they say to him, sir, would you just give us this bread always? Like, just keep the manna coming. If we could just follow you around and have our fill, that would be great. They're still not getting it. And so Jesus, I picture him almost exasperated a little bit in verse 35. He says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he goes on, he unpacks that a little bit more. And after they hear his whole speech in verse 41, it says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They didn't want what Jesus was offering. They wanted him on their terms. Here's what I want. Here's what I'm looking for. They weren't really to, ready to receive from him on his terms. And he was offering them something deeper than food. Now, I don't want to contradict what we said earlier. I think it's important to break bread together. I think it's important for our practical needs to be met. But if our life groups stop there at just the practical needs, what we end up with is a social gathering and not something that can bring real life change. Jesus is present and he wants to offer us bread that sustains, bread that lasts. And so Jesus starts to get so extreme to make this point that in verses 53 through 55, and then we're going to skip down and read verse 58 as well. This is what he says to them. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, y'all want to get really physical, really practical? Fine, then eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, can you imagine sitting there hearing this? Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He says, listen, there is something more that you hunger. There is something more that you're thirsting for. And you need to receive the true bread and the true drink that comes from me. It's my life poured out for you. They didn't know this yet, but he's pointing to the cross, to the work that he's going to do for them, his life given for them. We need to feed on Jesus. An essential part of our group gatherings is feeding on what Jesus has to offer. We need a place where we can digest his word together. I, I, I firmly believe that all too often we have substituted preaching for discipleship. Preaching's important. I need help understanding and, and learning, like walk me through some things I need to know. That's great. But discipleship goes beyond just hearing a message that is spoken. It is where we sit down together and we begin to digest God's word together and figure out what is he saying? What does this have to do with me? How does this apply to my life? I don't even know what he's talking about. Can you help me figure that out? And we, and we work through it together. Life group principle number four, we need a place to feast on God's word together. We can have the fun. We can have the food. We need a shelter in the storm. 
but we are going to be left severely lacking if we are not finding the life that Jesus offers through his words. We need it. We need it. And so when we gather in this church, God's word is going to be central. We're going to unpack his word together and talk about what is Jesus saying to us? How can we grow? How can we learn? I think it's interesting that the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's my hope. That's my desire is that we can sit down in a group together and go, help help me digest this. Help me get a bite of this. What's God saying? What's he speaking? How does this affect me as, as a husband, as a wife? How does this affect me on my campus at school, in my job, in my interaction with my children? How does this actually, where the rubber meets the road, how does this happen? I believe discipleship very specifically happens at this kind of intersection where our life comes together and it meets the presence of God and the word of God and we figure out how all those things intersect. And we we work that out with each other. And so life groups are meant to be a place where that happens. We feast on God's word together. Okay, one last principle. I just, I kind of love the way Jesus walks out the end of this. So this whole conversation kind of takes place. There's all these people present. They're getting frustrated with him. They don't understand what he's talking about. And now when he starts saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood, that really freaks some people out. I think we could all agree, rightfully so. That would freak me out a little bit, especially if I didn't understand what he was talking about. And so some people start pulling back because they don't understand some of the hard things that Jesus is saying. What I love about the disciples, to their credit, while we notice things in Scripture where they blow it and they mess up along the way, sometimes they get things right. And one of the things that they got right pretty often is when they didn't understand something, they would come to Jesus and go, hey, so uh, what was that about? I, I, I missed it. I didn't get that. Can you talk to me more about that? And they would come and ask him. They would ask him, they would, they would talk through, wrestle through the hard things. And so I just want to look at some of this interaction that Jesus has with them. So beginning in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Notice Jesus is willing to engage them on the hard, challenging things that he had to say. He didn't just drop the bomb and then walk out and leave him there to wrestle with it. He said, hey, let's talk about it. This is hard. This offends you. This is bothering you. Well, let's let's get into it. Life groups are meant to be a place where we can wrestle through those hard things. Where we can look at each other and go, man, I'm struggling with some doubt in that area. Or I don't don't understand what Jesus is saying right there. And we can take those things. So it's not just digesting what's good that we want to receive, but it's wrestling through the difficult. And I love how Jesus lets him in on it a little bit. He says in verse 63, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Listen, I'm not telling you to literally turn me into barbecue here. I'm I'm speaking life to you. I have something to offer that will feed you and sustain you. And it will last forever. The words that I've spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. If If we will dare to trust that what Jesus has to say is valuable and good and life-giving, then we'll hang in there through the hard things and wrestle through them together. Now, I don't want to leave this out. There's something interesting that I just feel like kind of gets dropped in here towards the end. 
And so I want to read verses 64 through 66 to kind of wrap all this up. Jesus then says to them, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Think about that. He knew from the beginning when he called these guys who wasn't going to believe, who was going to quit, who was going to doubt and be out, and even who was going to betray him. He knew Judas would be the one. And he said to them, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I want you to notice something. In Jesus's own life group, everybody was invited. Doubters, quitters, betrayers. Now this is a hard thing, but I, I, wanna, I wanna challenge us on this. It is actually for our good and our benefit when we have somebody in our life group that it's difficult to be with. That person that just gets under our skin. I don't see eye to eye with them. Jesus brought those people around himself and included them in the mix. There was a reason they were there. And one of the things that I think we have to be careful of is thinking that we can judge who's gonna end up being the betrayer or the doubter or the quitter. Because it's not who you would think. I mean, imagine for a minute, none of you would do this, but imagine for a minute you're in this group of 12 people and you've just heard Jesus like reference this. Some of you aren't gonna last. I mean, I think it's pretty natural to kind of look around the room and start guessing who he's talking about. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks that way. I don't know. I think it's pretty common to look around the room and go, maybe it's going to be them. Maybe it's going to be them. Think about the candidates, the tax collector. I mean, right off the bat, Matthew's probably out. <laughs> Peter, that dude is sticking his foot in his mouth left and right. I'm pretty sure Jesus to just told me the other day to get behind me, Satan. Like he's gone for sure. Right? Judas. Now see, Jesus trusts him with the money. He's probably safe. I don't think Jesus would trust somebody with the money that wasn't like reliable. Rob, I'm not calling you out right now. <laughs> Rob's our money guy. There's old Judas back there, but no, like, can you imagine? I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. But think about it. This is the way we would think. These guys would be looking at Judas and going, Jesus trusts him with the money. He's probably good. The way we would judge is God is the only one who knows. Jesus knew from the beginning who would betray. The very people that we would love to say, man, they're not getting it. They've been here long enough. They should know better. It's the same obnoxious thing over and over again. Like, I can't trust them. They're a no, whatever, fill in the blank. The, the judgment that we can have towards one another. And in reality, that might be a Matthew sitting right there in the room who wrote one of the gospels. That might be Peter who's going to get up and preach to thousands of people on the day of Pentecost. I don't know who's in the room. I can't prejudge them or make assumptions. And even if I end up being right, I've got to trust that if Jesus himself would draw a doubting Thomas in, if he would have a Judas come in, in fact, if every single one of his disciples in the most important hour of his life would turn tail and run in fear, and yet he said, I'll have those guys in my small group, who are we to think we might not have some challenging people in ours? It's for our growth. It's for our benefit. So life group principle number five. 
It's a place to wrestle and it's a place to grow. It's a place to wrestle and it's a place to grow. And God will let us have those difficult things along the way, those people that might be difficult or the hard sayings of Jesus that might be difficult. We should have a place where we can come together and it's safe because we're gonna hang in there together. Remember, we're rowing the boat together. And so we can wrestle through the things we don't understand and we can learn to deal with people that are hard to deal with. Because if you haven't noticed, you can't really escape those people in life anyways. There's gonna be challenging people in life. So let's figure out together how to do that, how to live that out. I love this. In closing, and then I'm gonna pray. At the end of all of this in verses 67 through 69, Jesus looks at the 12, the intimate group. All these other people have kind of bailed. And he looks at this intimate group and he's like, all of this in context, everything we just experienced, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else can we go but to the one who has the words of life? Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you first and foremost that you are inviting us into a relationship with you. God, you disciple us. You lead us. You speak truth into our lives. You're the shelter in the storm. You're rest for the weary. God, you do these things for us. You feed us. You sustain us. You provide for our practical needs. And Jesus, you've given us yourself, the bread of life. God, you have a place in your life for us when we struggle, when we doubt, when we don't understand. Lord, you have a place for us when our relationships are hard. When there's things we're going through with other people that are difficult, you're there. And now, God, our prayer is that um, we, would, we would be these kind of people too. That with your help and with your guidance, we can be the kind of people that we would gather together and be a place of refuge and rest God, we could work alongside one another. We could eat together, play together. God, that we could be a shelter in the storm for each other. Lord, that we can feed on you, on your word together and be nourished. And Lord, we could have a place where we can wrestle and grow. God, we need that. Help us to buy into this. We love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.